Let's give it up for the band again, can we? I just love watching Stephanie. I thought she was going to blow up there, disappear or something like Enoch walked with God and was not. I was like watching to see if she just whoop, disappeared or something. Just, you need a little bit more, you know, fire. Yeah, you need more enthusiasm. I pray more enthusiasm of you. Oh my goodness. It's uh, one of those... Worship, when Stephanie's worshiping, you have to keep your eyes open. (laughs) Watch and pray. (laughs) That's a good word right there. Well, it's good to see you all. And uh, I just got back from England. Someplace far away. Yes, how many of you are from England? It's pretty cool. It's so little crying there. They protect you with sticks there. (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) We have guns. I saw the guns. We had such a good time. We, um, we did a public meeting for about five or 600 people that are um, in government, in some way in government. Lots of them are staffers and also political politicians. And that was a, a lot of fun just to see politicians gather for a night to actually worship Jesus and to hear, um, just to be encouraged. And we really need to pray for governmental people. You know what I mean? They, uh, they have a tough job. I, I don't know who would want a job like that when you have like millions of bosses and every four years you have to <laughs> try to convince them again to give you back your job. That's a, that is, that's a tough job, but when you're called to it, I guess it's awesome. But we, uh, we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of uh, opportunities in, there in England to um, actually minister to those people and encourage them. So that's really fun and a lot of fun and they, they come and get prophesied over and even if they don't believe it it's just so cool (laughs) they do when we're done usually so that's good well grab a hand and let's pray holy spirit you can i've been gone for a week so those of you that haven't had a date for a week you can just squeeze the hand of the person next to you and yeah this is the way it goes and if it's yes just squeeze back a lot of people come i notice a lot i usually pack places out that know i'm going to do this just this is, this is true speed dating right here. This is transcends e-harmony by faster than the speed of web. So Lord, we just bless what you're doing tonight. We just pray, God, that you would just release your power on people who have problems. Lord, anybody who's struggling tonight with issues in their life, I pray that you would do exceedingly abundantly, more than they've ever asked or ever thought. And I pray that it would be and suddenly and immediately. I think it's the book of Mark that uses the word immediately a lot. And we just pray that you would use immediately a lot tonight. That people would get home and their situations and circumstances would have shifted. Lord, I just, I, I just release that over their children, over their marriages, over their finances, over their physical conditions. Lord, I just pray In Jesus' name, that you would just release an end suddenly over them. Amen. How many of you uh, heard Bill's message this morning? You were here in one of the services this morning. That was just an amazing message, wasn't it? I took two pages of notes, and it's so um, crazy. I think we've been with Bill 38 years or something like that, and I'm just completely, totally... I just lean over to Kathy all the time and say, I'm so glad I'm following him. 
and not someone boring. <laughs> I go places. Anyway, well, I'm not going to say that. You know what? Somebody, I, I was sitting in, in, a, in a session. Uh, this has been several years ago. And listening to someone preach, and I thought, I couldn't even figure out what they were saying. I mean, I didn't even, I, by the end of the subject, by the end of the message, I could not figure out what subject they were talking about. And I leaned over to Kathy. I said, do you have any idea what the subject was? I don't, I'm having a hard time. She said, I have no idea. And just then, we were whispering, and the person next to me said, that's the best message I've ever heard. <laughs> so <laughs> one person's confusion is another person's complete revelation. So, but uh, anyway, I, I want to talk about the po- power of possibility. And if you'll turn to Luke chapter uh, 8, I just, um, actually, a lot of this I've shared in different, uh, at different times, but uh, I was thinking about it. I mean, I woke up this morning actually thinking about the power of possibility. In fact, um, I'll probably just quote it later. Um, but this phrase was running through my mind this morning when I woke up, probably an hour after I woke up. Not, I wasn't preparing for a message or anything. I was just walking through the front room, getting, uh, getting ready for work this morning. And I heard, before you think you can, you have to think you should. In other words, before you think you, should change, before you think you can change the world, you must think you should change the world. If you think you're not supposed to be relevant to the world, you won't wonder if you can be. Can I read it again? Yeah, I just ran in and got my phone and I wrote it down this morning. Before you think you can, like you can do something, or God can do something, or it can happen. Are you with me? Before you think you can, you have to think you should. In other words, before you think you can change the world, as an example, you must think you should change the world. If you think you're not supposed to be relevant to the world, you won't wonder if you can be. I think this is, uh, this is really important for us. You know, I, I've, been, I've had this passion, a lot of us on, the, on our team, most of us on our team have this passion to really make an impact on believers, but also on cities and on nations. And I believe it's on the Lord's heart. But there, I think there's a reason, I think there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that I think that believers haven't had the impact, we haven't had the impact that we could or in my opinion, should have on the world, is because we often don't think we're supposed to. (laughs) In other words, we've read verses like, come out and be separate, and thought that meant (laughs) we shouldn't be be in dark places. And I think that the only reason dark places stay dark is because we're not there. (laughs) And so what I'm getting at is that... before you can actually find the full possibility of your impact and God's impact in your life, you have to ask yourself, is it okay to do that? Is it okay to be a politician? Is it okay to be a business person? Is it okay to be an actor or an actress? Like, if I, if I don't think it's okay, if I don't think I should, I'm not going to ask if I can. If I don't think God wants to heal me, then I'm not going to ask God if he can heal me because I've already answered the first question as no, and therefore I don't reach my full possibility. Does it, am I making any sense? So this morning I was just thinking about, I just woke up to that phrase. I, and, you know, for me, I often, like, people will often say, well, how do you know, I, like, most, one of the most asked questions when we're teaching the prophetic, how do you know what's you and how do you know what's the Lord? 
And I, I have lots of answers to that question. I you know, obviously wrote a couple of books on it. And we teach on it often. And, and I don't know that there's just one right answer. One of the ways I know the Lord's talking to me is when he talks to me about a subject I am not thinking about at all. And I'm not in revelation mode. Everyone know what I mean by revelation mode? I think Bill talked about it this morning about asking God, for, asking God a question and hardly ever gets the answer when he asks. Like you're just walking. For me, like I will often be in my wood shop working on a project that doesn't take a lot of brain activity and all of a sudden start getting all these ideas. And like, for me, that's very often the Lord's speaking to me when I'm not expecting it about a subject maybe I haven't even asked about or asked about months before. Have you ever asked the Lord answer a question you even forgot you asked? I'm like, I don't even, I'm not even passionate about the answer anymore. And the Lord's like, hey, would you want to know? I'm like, I wanted to know that eight months ago. And so, um, so I want to talk a little bit about the power of possibility. And um, so if you're in Luke chapter 8, we're just going to look at one verse. It's a verse that um, I've used several times in different ways. But um, it, 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 let me read it. Verse 18 of chapter 8 of Luke. So take care how you listen. So take care of how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Um, I don't know that I'm going to do um, anything on the second part of that verse, which I've taught a lot on, but this part. So take care how you listen. Now, Jesus also said in several other verses, be careful what you listen to. But I like this verse because this is, this is the verse before, be careful what you listen to. Because Jesus isn't talking in this verse about what you're listening to, which is very important. He's talking about how you listen. And one thing that I've, you know, one thing I I realize is that we all view the world with an accent. Now, you don't know you have an accent until you encounter someone that has a different one. (laughs) And typically, when you encounter a person that has a different one, you think... They have the accent. <laughs> like anyone ever, any Americans been to England? They have ruined the English language and kept the title. <laughs> like, they spell culture of honor. They spell honor wrong. I'm like, you have, you even got the spelling wrong. It's a joke. I'm sorry. I'm simply saying, like, you typically view your, first of all, again, you don't know you have an accent until you encounter somebody who has a different one. And then you typically think they have the accent. Like for, there's, for some reason we think we had to have it first. Like this is the way we all t- spoke English and then you guys did put a twist on it. The Scottish people, I was in Scotland last year. I seriously, I was sitting in a group of leaders, there's about 15 or 20 of us. And I was the only English speaker. <laughs> and it was a question and answer time. And I was supposed to give the answers to their questions. And I, I'm not kidding you. I, I could not understand what they asked. <laughs> and finally, there was a lady next to me who had spent quite a bit of time in America. And she translated for me. <laughs> Have you been to Scotland? I, I was like, I'm, I just love to hear them speak. You know, like I said, well, 
Let me say this. I, under, I realized that William Wallace wasn't speaking Scottish English after I came back from Scotland because they wouldn't have been able to make the movie. They would have had to put subtitles underneath it. <laughs> I'd propose to you that we don't just speak with an accent, but we see with an accent and we hear with an accent. In other words, we don't necessarily see... What, we don't really see the world the way it is. We typically see the world the way we are. I'd suggest that we don't often read the Bible. Well, let me say it differently, and then I'll say what I was going to say. We typically don't read the Bible. We don't really read the Bible for what it says. We typically read the Bible to validate what we already believe. And I'd propose to you that the one, one reason why, uh, Bill's a great example, one reason why some people get revelation and other people don't is because some people read the Bible to actually understand what it's trying to say, and other people read the Bible to validate what they already believe. Have you ever heard someone share a verse in maybe one of your favorite books of the Bible? And they start talking about what the verse means. And you're like, I read that verse for 40 years and I never saw that. Well, some of that can just be the fact that God's revealed them something different to them. But some of it can be that we typically, we often read our culture into the Bible. We often read right and wrong into the Bible. I've shared this story many times. I remember the very first time I went to Africa. They gave me uh, an itinerary. I, I I like to have an itinerary. I don't know why it makes me feel secure or something. I like to know what I'm doing before I get there. And some of that is experience of going places that I didn't know I was going to be doing that. And I think if that's what I was going to do, I probably wouldn't have gone because that's, I'm not good at that. So my, my, uh, my PA at the time, Nancy, she asked the, the African team in, uh, in Kenya, I was doing this... Um, this uh, Leaders, kind of like a leader's advance, or teaching leaders for three days, a thousand of them, in Africa. Well, I had never actually, I don't know if at that time I'd ever been to Africa before. I don't think I'd ever been to Africa before. So I was kind of anxious about, you know, who I was going to teach and how often I was teaching. And I heard all these stories. So, so Nancy, um, she persistently, she persisted in asking them for an itinerary. And I got this actually hour by hour itinerary. And I, I realized later that they probably have never done one before because it was like a 12-hour itinerary with every single thing I'd be doing on there. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of funny. But so I flew in. I, I, uh, I had to take a, a, a red-eye flight and fly all night because the conference um, started at, at 10 o'clock in the morning the, uh, the day after I got there, the day, you know, I flew there that night and then got there that, finally that morning. And I had to take an, a, a, I had to fly all night so I could get there in time for the conference. I flew actually a day and a half. And so I get there and we, then we drive four hours to our, you know, to finally to the hotel. And I get up the next morning. I'm pretty jet lagged. They're supposed to pick me up at 10 o'clock in the morning. I get up at eight. I'm trying to get ready, a little bit anxious. 
again, you know, never taught in Africa. I don't really know what, I, what I'm doing. And uh, so I'm already at 10, and, and nobody picks me up at 10. At 11, nobody picks me up. At 12, nobody picks me up. And, you know, it's not like you can, you know, get on your cell phone and call someone, especially in those days. So at 12, no one picks me up. At 1, no one picks me up. At 2 o'clock, they come to pick me up. Remember, I flew all left the night earlier so I could be there to be on time in the morning. So at 2 o'clock, they pick me up. They don't say, I'm sorry, we were late, we had a breakdown. Nothing. They just pick me up. And I'm like, okay. So I was supposed to speak at 10 and at 11. That was another session. They had all these sessions. And then someone else was supposed to speak at 2. And then so we have this whole thing. So I'm looking at the thing and I don't say much. And I say to uh, my friend who's picked me up, I said, "Um, hi, uh, Who's speaking? He said, oh, you're, you're speaking. I said, oh, I didn't, thought I didn't have a two o'clock session. He said, oh, yeah, you do now. <laughs> so I get done with the two o'clock session, and I spoke for an hour and a half. The electricity went on and off, and the, it was raining inside the tent. It was so crazy. Anyway, to make a, I'm making a long story long. <laughs> I taught for four days. The other two speakers decided to not teach at all. They sat in the front row, and, and he kept saying, just keep going, they don't want to teach. I taught every single session. They picked me up randomly whenever they wanted to. By the fourth day, I was so mad that we, were not, we weren't late to everything. Like We were like hours late to everything. Nothing happened on a schedule. And the fourth day, I realized there's no possible way they could have picked me up on time. Nobody wears a watch. I mean, no, there wasn't a single person with the watch. Like, they wouldn't know if it's 10 o'clock or 2 o'clock or what time an 11 o'clock session was. There was nobody with the watch in the entire place. So I get on the plane, and I'm mad. Like, I've been five days. <laughs> I've since learned, like, flexible is the key to Africa. I, I understand it now. I was eight years on Heidi Baker's board, so trust me, the Lord's like... You need a little trial just to keep, build your character. But I got on the plane. I'm flying home. I'm really, like, I'm in turmoil. I've been four days, five days now by this time. And I say to the Lord, Lord, this is just wrong. And I hear, yeah, you're right. It's wrong. I said, you know, these people, they're so dishonoring. They pick me up two hours late, three hours late, four hours late. And I'm going on like that on the plane home. And the Lord says to me, yeah, we're, um, what verse do you have for you shouldn't be late? <laughs> and I'm honestly, now it's so funny now, but I'm honestly thinking there's got to be, a, I would not be this mad <laughs> if they weren't breaking the scriptures, certainly. <laughs> and then I realized, you know, after a few hours flying, like, it's, Western 20 and 21st culture that breaks life down into minutes. (laughs) Like you can be successful and still feel unsuccessful because you were minutes late to a meeting of which you had eight of them that day. And it's it's Western American, not just American, it's Western 20 and 21st century culture that breaks life down into little, look, it's going around right now. It's going down while I'm speaking. I could be judged by what happens to that thing at the end. 
I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I'm just saying it doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom. And I'm saying sometimes we superimpose our values over our lives and other people's lives, and we suppose that they're wrong or they're right because of the way we hear and the way we see. And I'd propose to you that our reality isn't necessarily God's reality. In fact, the next verse is John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed, if you continue in my word, you'll truly be disciples of mine, and you'll know the truth. Everybody say truth. And the truth will make you free. The word truth there isn't rhema or logos for anybody who's kind of into Greek, which I'm not. The word truth there is actually the word we get our word reality from. You'll know reality, and that will make you free. You'll know reality, and that will make you free. In other words, lots of people live in a virtual reality. It feels real, tastes real, looks real. The culture validates it's real, but it's not real. And Jesus is saying, my word will help you find reality, and reality will make you free. It's, um, reality is determined, I mean, our reality, our, the experience we're having that, we're de- that we are believing is reality is actually determined by the lens of our life, our core values, how we hear. Not so much what we hear, but how we hear. How many know we often question what we see, but we seldom question how we see? <laughs> we often question what we hear, but we seldom question how we hear. One of the great examples I've ever heard is Lance Wallnow, we were in a conference in Pennsylvania. I think Bill might have been in the conference years ago. And Lance Wallnow was talking about perception and perspective. And he got this um, big barrel of flags that you can wave, you know, and they, they're at, at Charles uh, Stock Church. They used to have flags that you can wave. They were just different colors, many different colors. And I don't know, there's maybe 30 or 40 of them in a, this big barrel that you could grab and wave. And, and uh, Lance brought them up to the front, the barrel, and he said, I want you to count all the red flags. And he clo- slowly turned the barrel and we counted flags. And then he said, everyone close your eyes. How many gold flags were there? I don't know how many gold flags. You said, count the red flags. And his point is that you typically see what you're prepared to see. If you're looking for red flags, you're going to see red flags. If you're looking for gold flags, you're going to see gold flags. But if you're, looking, but if you're prepared to see red flags you're probably not going to see gold flags, even if they are right in your face. In other words, life is often about not what's happening to you, but what you're looking for to happen to you. Oftentimes, you receive what you think you're going to receive. In other words, Bill was talking about faith this morning, and part of faith is the expectation that something's going to happen to me. How many understand you can have faith in the negative? I believe that fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. The reason I have the emotion of fear is because I believe something bad's going to happen to me. And sometimes, you know, the worst thing that, I think one of the worst things that happens in our life is, say a woman gets raped. Obviously, that's a bad thing. But the worst thing that happens out of that 
often isn't the actual initial rape. It's the expectation it's going to happen again. So it's not the our terrible thing that happened to me and the however long it took me to physically recover. It's the years, the years of what that did to my lens. I began to look at life expecting, looking for the red flag, looking for it to happen again to me. And what happens when I anticipate things? I want to be careful. Let's leave that example alone. Other thing. What happens when I expect things? When I have faith in the kingdom of darkness, I actually attract that spirit. When I have faith in the kingdom of God, I attract God's stuff in my life. Are you with me? I remember a friend of mine, she got in a car accident. It wasn't her fault. And she was just at a stoplight. Someone didn't see the stop. The stop she's at a stop sign. Didn't see the stop sign behind her. Plowed into her. Hurt her neck. And she went through this whole thing with neck problems and all of that. And, uh, and she was, I, I was, you know, I was, I was um, very close to this person. And she confided in me that she had a fear that it was going to happen again. Like she started having nightmares. She hadn't had, never had an accident before. In her, she was in her uh, late 40s at the time. And lo and behold, within about three months, she gets hit again. In the five years that I was close to her, she'd been in seven car accidents. Now, I'm saying you can attract the wrong spirit, is my point. It's a dramatic experience, I mean, I mean example, of what happens when you begin to anticipate the wrong spirit. I was thinking about, like, one of the most powerful things that's happened to me personally in the last year was Bill's, uh, when Bill was in, um, having his physical problem and then was in the hospital, obviously very close to it, interacting with Bill nearly daily. And I watched Bill be a profound example of being in a very serious situation and not actually knowing how serious, really, for a long time, and and doing what you heard him say today, this morning. I mean, I watched him do it. I watched him in the hospital. I watched him through the tests. We interacted nearly every day, I think every day, for in the really serious times. And I watched Bill. I said, how are you doing? I'm having a tough time. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm recounting the prophecies the Lord spoke to me. I'm recounting that I have a long life because I have not seen these things fulfilled in my life. He's recounting that. He's, he is doing that for himself. What's he doing? He's creating expectation for good. Yes. He's got something bad going on in his life. He doesn't know how bad. How many know doctors are not the devil? They're there to tell you the facts, but the truth overrides the facts. So he's got a bunch of negative facts coming at him, and he is he's pulling the truth into his fact life. He's not denying that there's problems, but he's pulling truth into his fact life. What's he doing? He's making sure he doesn't fear another accident. And so many times, it's not what happens to us, but the stories we make up that truly scare us. Are you with me? It's not so much what happens in life as it is the stories that we make up about what we fear will happen to us. Someone once said, I know worry works because nothing I've ever worried about happened. (laughs) 
How many of the, the, the toughest, time in, toughest times in your life are things you never worried about? The toughest times in my life are things I never thought would ever happen. It's interesting that we are designed... Well, the optical nerve in our eye actually is designed in a way that it views life upside down. Do you know that? So it actually views everything upside down. And then the, the, that it sends if you will, the photograph to your brain upside down and your brain actually redefines reality and flips the image right side up. I'm saying your brain is created, is made to redefine your reality every day. Your brain goes, that can't be real. Gravity, you'll be floating on the ceiling. That can't be right. And it actually reimposes, if you will, the, 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 the visual right side up so that you perceive the world, in that case, the way it really is. I took uh, my pilot's license. I never got actually to fly, because they took me up five times, and every time I threw up. <laughs> the first four times, he said, you'll get over it. The fifth time, he, fifth time he said, there are people that shouldn't be flying. But I took ground school. Ground school was six weeks long, and, and we went, I think, twice a week or three times a week. And they taught us that there's a reason why... Well, they taught us that all planes have dual instruments. They duplicate every instrument in a plane that is uh, important. For instance, the altimeter, which tells you how high you are and whether you're rising, falling, so on and so forth... There's two of those in even the smallest planes. There's uh, another meter that determines whether you're, uh, whether you're, it's called yaw meter, whether you're going left or right. There's two of those. And the instructor said, the reason why there's two of those is because it's kind of like the, the, in the presence of two witnesses. He didn't use that word. But he said, it's because there's a thing called, I think it's called spidial disorientation that causes, especially pilots in small planes, the reason why most small planes crash is because they get in a, um, in a situation where they, there's no visual, they can't see, like a storm. And they feel like, this pilot feels like, that they're climbing, uh, that they're climbing and that they're upside down. Like, the sensation is, I'm climbing and I'm upside down. But the truth is, I'm actually diving and I'm right side up. And so what the most small planes, pilots turn their plane upside down trying to right the plane. And they try to level the plane. But what they actually do is crash into the ground. And what they teach you is, don't trust your feelings. <laughs> trust your gauges. And the reason why there's two of every important gauge is so you can look at both gauges and go... Both those gauges can't be wrong. I won't trust my feelings. I'll trust those gauges because they agree with each other. Are you with me? I'm saying, how many of you know feelings are important? I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't the Vulcan planet. I think it's important to say that because I think in Christianity we often like, oh, that person's just, that's just feelings. Yeah, well, that's what makes us human, is that we actually have them, and that we have this other dimension, that we feel things, and, we, and, that, and that feeling thing isn't, 
you know, feelings in themselves aren't bad or good, are they? But they add color to, their li- to our lives. But it's important to remember that we are not our feelings. <laughs> and how I'm feeling isn't how I'm doing. Okay, that's a good word right there. You could take that home right there. How I'm feeling isn't how I'm doing. How many know there are a lot of people living like hell and feeling like heaven? But they're living like hell. How many know how they're doing, how they're feeling isn't how they're doing? In fact, Romans 1 says that they have seared their conscience. It's, it's that thing that happens when you do something wrong for the first time and you're like, you feel really bad about it. You feel convicted. Maybe you smoked or you, you, you got drunk or you, you had sex outside of marriage and you feel really bad about it. The second time, it's a little, not so bad, not as bad. You know, the first time, it's like, bad. The second time, it's bad. The third time, it's bad. The fourth time, it's And the fifth time, the conviction is silent. I've seared my conscience. How many know my feelings in the beginning really were congruent with my conviction? But my feelings now are not how I'm doing. I'm feeling good about having sex with my girlfriend. But how many know that's not how I'm doing? I'm actually dying. On the other hand, sometimes I'm feeling bad and I'm doing good. (laughs) Sometimes I'm feeling bad. Emotionally, I'm not feeling up. And the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. (laughs) I think it's, you know... One of, the, one of the challenges we have is that the world has elevated feelings. So now the world says, you are what you feel. And if you feel it, you are it. And it, now it's, it's skewed our, our value system about sexuality. If I feel it, if I'm attracted to it, then I must be it. I'd like to propose to you, if anyone's worked with people that have anorexia or or bulimia, uh, over the years, I haven't worked with them a lot, but I've had three girls in my office over the years. One, 70 pounds, the others, two, very close. I mean, we're talking about skin and bones. Who swear they're fat. They feel fat. How many understand how they feel isn't how they're doing? I'm saying the level of deception. I'm not saying your, your feelings are evil. I'm saying that they're not reality. And if I learned to go by my feelings, I'm going to end up upside down and heading towards the earth. And I'm like, i got to watch my gauges. What does the Holy Spirit tell me? What, is my, what, what are the, the people I trust around me? What are they telling me? Are you with me? It's like, I'm not my feelings, and I'm not how my feelings tell me I am. Now, I love when my, my, my feelings and my spirit are in agreement. <laughs> Tonight, we were worshiping. And it's like, I love when my feeling lines up, and they go, oh, we like that song. <laughs> Where Sean was doing, let's be airplanes. I was just like, I was just thinking that, let's be airplanes. And my feelings are like, you know, Stephanie, I mean, she's like congruent. 
with what God's doing. How many know that is so fun when, when, my, when my soul and my spirit, they're like happy. Like living together in harmony, that's so beautiful. Then I'm like, my feelings and how I'm doing are congruent. It's awesome. But it's not always like that. You know, it's not what you want, but what you will that changes you. It's like, God, Jesus didn't say, whosoever want, he said, Whoever, whosoever will. When I said yes to marriage, I said I do, it was not my want, it was my will. Now, how many understand that on that day, my want and my will were the same? But it's my will that gets me to heaven. Lots of people want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven, but how many know willing it is a different thing? I'd like to propose to you that sometimes when you want something that's not good, but you will something different, that's called character. Sometimes when I want the wrong thing, but I do the right thing, that exercise of that's not good for me. That's not the kingdom. How, but I want it. But I will this. How many understand? That's not like you're evil. That's called temptation. And Jesus was tempted in every way except without evil. In other words, and the devil comes back and goes, if you were a real believer, you wouldn't want that. No, no. Believing is about willing. <laughs> Believing is about I will the right thing no matter what I want. Sometimes I want the wrong thing. Sometimes I want the right thing. But what I will determines who I am, not how I feel. I'm trying to say, sometimes we're trying to, sometimes God allows us to build character by going, I want you to minister to that person. I don't want to minister to that person. God goes, I said, minister to that person. I don't want to. But I'll do it, which means I will to. How many of you know sometimes the person doesn't get touched, but I do? Because I just did what he told me to do when I didn't want to do it. See, I think maturity is doing what you're supposed to do when you don't want to do it. Because you're not mature when you're doing it when you want to do it. I don't know if I said that the right way, but... That's a good word, actually. Perceptions are powerful. Let's say somebody you, you're dating someone and they and they dump you, and you're like, "I feel so sad. The world is over." But the next day you find out that he's a sac- psychopath and he killed the last his last three dates. All of a sudden you're you're thrilled he dumped you. See, it's not what happens to you. It's what you think happened to you. Are you with me? (laughs) You lose your job. You believe it's the best job you ever had. You'll never get a better job. You, you, You feel bad about it. You lose your job and you find out a few days later that they went bankrupt. You're like, glad I got out of there on time. And what I'm getting at is that Your emotions aren't random. 
They follow your beliefs. I'm saying, you tell your emotions what to feel by what you believe just happened to you. Now, those are obviously, you know, exaggerations to make a point. But if I say, if my core value, if the lens of my life, if the way I hear is all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God thinks Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's always thinking tridimensionally. He's not thinking what's good for me and my two. He's thinking of what's good for my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren at least. So what happens to me today might not have anything to do with me. It might have something to do with my great-grandchild. And God goes, I'm going to do this for you. And I go, God, why? He goes, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. Because it's for someone yet to be born. And then I start to realize, like, life isn't all about me. And when I trust God, I go, well, I really wanted that job, but they had a layoff. And I think, you know what? And I begin to anticipate this is good for me because of the way I hear. I didn't hear you're laid off. I heard you got a new assignment. The assignment hasn't come yet. (laughs) I didn't hear he doesn't want to date me anymore. I heard that's not my husband, and the one who's coming will be my husband. I didn't hear, you know, you got a flat tire. I heard there's an accident up, up above, up ahead of you, and I delayed you 15 minutes so you wouldn't be in it. And I began to view the world through a totally different core value. God knows what he's doing. I don't always know what, I'm, what he's doing. Sometimes I know, on a good day, I know some of what he's doing. Come on. Come on. On a good day, I know some of what he's doing. But it's not about what's happening to me. It's like, do I trust the one that's making it happen? And pretty soon, I view things. I'm like, that's not a good thing, but something good's going to happen out of it. I mean, you know, how many know not everything's good that happens in my life. Everything works out for good in the end. And we'll have a lot less anxiety if we'll just look at life through a proactive lens. Let me say that again. We'll have a lot more peace in our life if we looked at life through a proactive instead of reactive lens. In other words, instead of letting my emotions tell me what I'm going to think about that, I tell my emotions what to, th- what to think. I tell, my, I tell myself, this is the way you should feel about that. You go, well, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I always find that my emotions are about an hour behind my commands. No, I mean, sincerely, what, what, what happens is I, I kind of view them. I'm sorry, this is a picture that probably won't mean much. To, I, I view my emotions on, on a will rubber band. It's like I see something bad happen, and I go, all things work together for good. God has my best in mind. I, I pull some of Bill's testimony, prophecy. I go, this is the word I have. These are the testimonies I have. But my emotions still like, we're freaked out. Anybody else? I'm talking about on tough things. I'm not talking about daily. I'm talking about like a tough thing. And I go, okay, well, this is what I believe. Now, my emotions are telling me, this isn't what you believe. I'm like, no, no, this is what I believe. This is what I will. That's what I want. I mean, I don't want it to happen. I'm saying my emotions want that. My emotions are like, let's run to the cave. Lock the doors. But I go, no, no. Should a man like me flee, 
okay, who am I that I just said that? (laughs) Oh, I'm a child of the king. I have a destiny. I have promises over my life that haven't been fulfilled. I can't die yet because I have promises. And I start, but here's, here's the part I'm trying to be practical about. That will takes about an hour for the, for the adrenaline to leave my body and for my emotion to go, oh, okay, we'll partner with you. Here's what the challenge is. Most of us don't wait an hour. <laughs> Most of us are like, I cannot possibly be believing that because I'm still feeling that. And I'm like, just believe that a little longer and this will come along. Fear has a way of transforming nice, normal people into nasty, mean souls. Fear is a fiction author writing stories to trouble the hearts of its victim. Fear turns discernment into suspicion and perverts motives, the motives of men. Prisons are filled with good people who drunk from the fountain of fear and found their souls incarcerated in its clutches. It's so true. Like, one of the things as an older man, I, I just was with someone recently who has a really tough situation. And he, he's telling me the situation, I'm feeling anxiety. And I'm not, it's not even my, you know, we've all done that, right? I'm thinking, man, if I were you, I'd be terrified too. That's what I'm thinking. And when he gets done telling me the story, he says, what should I do? I'm thinking, run. (laughs) Change your name. Don't ever come back. I'm exaggerating to be funny. But I'm truthfully thinking, I I mean, I literally am feeling the same anxiety he's feeling. And the first thing I, I remember the Lord teaching me and I hope I have this down because I've been through this so many times in my life. Whatever fear tells me to do, that's almost always the wrong thing. So I said to him, fear cannot be the motivator. So these are all the things you told me that you feel like you should do. And you told me that you have not slept, like you're in fear. So those are all the things you shouldn't do. <laughs> Because that's what fear wants you to do. So I said, what would love have you do? He said, I don't know. I haven't thought about love in so long. I can't even remember when the last time I felt love for somebody. I said, well, love will tell us what to do. And so we began to process not the feeling of love, because he was not feeling the feeling of love. He said, what would love do in this situation? He said, I, man, I honestly don't know. I said, well, will love do this? He said, no. I said, well, that's what you were going to do. He goes, yeah, that wasn't love. I'm like, no, that was fear. That was fear and judgment. And so we just started to talk about, because I didn't know the answer either. I said, well, let's let love tell us what to do. And we started talking through what love would have us do. He left my office with a plan. Not a plan at all. Anything he thought he was going to do for months. How do you know that's the right thing? Because even if it doesn't benefit him, It'll work out for good. Because when you operate out of love, you might lose everything, but God will give it back to you. He's the justifier. And, and how many of you know, if you do the, wrong, the right thing out of judgment and fear, and you do the right thing, you've done it with the wrong motives, so you don't get the benefit of it anyway. So I'm like, what would love do? The final thing I want to say 
with, with reference to uh, possibilities, is failure isn't final. And one of the, I think, most profound things that the Lord's given me for the realm of government is Judas and Peter both denied Christ. One hung himself and the other one became the head of the church. It's not what happens to you. It's like, all right, you you messed up. Now what are you going to do? And what I love about Jesus is I get to start over. It doesn't give me I understand where this could go. This sounds like greasy grace to some people. It's like, just do whatever. You can always start over. You know, you would understand that ain't our house. But when you've fallen, you need to remember this. It's not failure. Failure isn't final. No, start over. You might have failed, but it's not final. Well, you've been through a divorce. Okay, well, don't do another one. I mean, you, got, you, you figured out how to do it wrong. How about call that experience? And make the, the next marriage the best marriage anyone's ever seen in life. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, your life is over. You know, you metaphorically walk in the church, you're like, failure, failure, leper, leper, leper unclean, unclean. I can't tell you how many believers... I hear yelling unclean in their spirit. I'm unclean. I want you to know, as you sit with them, and within 10 minutes they want to tell you how they failed. I'm like, I don't mind that they're being you know, authentic and vulnerable. It's just like, it's not appropriate because that's not what we're doing. But it is appropriate because they want me to know that they're a failure. I'm like, you're not your worst day. <laughs> you're not your worst day. You're not your worst failure. You're, listen, your failure doesn't define you. What you do after you fail defines you. <laughs> I like Jesus. I like Jesus a lot, actually. <laughs> I'm in love with a man. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> It was so good, too. I, what, this isn't the phrase. It'll probably come to a minute. But I, I, I love when Jesus makes statements that don't sound like Jesus. Like Matthew 6, I love this verse. Don't worry about tomorrow. Now, if it stopped right there, you'd be, that sounds like Jesus. But he, here's his finishing statement. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble of its own. <laughs> I'm like... Yeah, yeah, I've had days like that. I can't even think about tomorrow. I've got so many problems today. I just love when Jesus says stuff that's so human. Don't you? Don't worry about tomorrow because the Lord's with you. No, tomorrow has a, today has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> it just doesn't sound like Jesus at all. <laughs> Boys. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. We have so much trouble today. (laughs) I understand it's not the only thing you said. It just stands out to me. Because that's how I think sometimes. I'm like, you know what? We just got to take today. We just have to do today. We have enough challenges today. (sighs) 
It's better to have tried and failed at something than to have made no effort and succeeded at nothing. It's better to have tried and failed at something than have made no effort and succeeded at nothing. I think there is something about trying. There's something about, you know, I don't know if very many people on their deathbed said, I wish I would have taken less risk. There's something about possibility that happens. The Lord meets you in the fray. There's something about believing the Lord told you to do something. It seems totally not rational. You've checked your gauges. You've talked to your leaders. I want to be a little careful because of the crazy people who follow us, like (laughs) y'all. Some of our people don't need a lot of encouragement to do crazy things. Let's fly. Yeah. (laughs) Let's jump off Bethel's roof. We'll raise you from the dead if you die. I mean, people say that about people. Like, Those crazy Bethel people. They're like. So, I mean, you know, like the Lord tells you to do something. You check with your leaders who are reputable. <laughs> you check your gauges. You know, I, I, I just feel prompted to say, I'm not telling you like, do something stupid. I'm telling you to do something stupid if the Lord tells you to do it. And you're sure it's the Lord. And you know, you might want to start with something that you can't die doing. This guy calls me the other day. He goes, I have this prophet who came to me and, and uh, she gave me this word. This, this big word about something we're supposed to do with our church. Totally changed the direction of the church. Very powerful word, but totally changed the direction of the church. And uh, it involves a lot of risk and money and all the stuff. And he said, I felt like I should call you and see what you say. I said, has she ever given you a word before? Like, has she done little things that came out right? He goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, why don't you have her prophesy like something like, it'll rain on a sunny day. Like, you know, like, just look at the weather when it's not supposed to rain. Ask her, you know, ask her to make it rain or something. <laughs> he said, are you serious? I said, well, you need to do something that, so that they have credibility. It's okay to want people to be credible. I remember I was with, um, with um, Mike Bickle recently, and he told me a story that we've heard many times about Bob Jones. I'll end with this story about Bob Jones. He, met, he meets Bob Jones. Bob Jones... Bob Jones is in, he's watching. <laughs> Be careful what you say about Bob, because he's always on streaming. But Bob Jones ends up in Kansas City. This is before Kansas City is, is identified as IHOP. And, um, and he, a, a, a prophet before Bob Jones, um, that prophesied over you, the little guy, can't remember. It starts with an A, though. Yes. Anyway, this little prophet, Argentinian prophet, I believe, prophesied over Mike Bickle in a prayer meeting, like the year before the story I'm about to tell you. And he said, there's a man coming who um, is a prophet, and he's going to give you a sign, and he's going to give you direction, and you're not going to think he's a prophet, but he's a prophet. Something like that. Some crazy thing. And so 
so Mike forgot about it, and then Bob Jones shows up. <laughs> and Bob Jones got coveralls on that are like way up here. You know, he's definitely not, he's not styling. He's more like John the Baptist, you know, wearing stuff that never has come into style. And Bob Jones walks into Mike Bickle's office, just unannounced, and tells Mike this, all this stuff about what's going to happen. And, and, and Mike's like thinking, this guy's crazy, da-da-da, he looks crazy. And, then, and, and Bob Jones said, and by the way, um, something like, and I'll probably get this wrong, I hope, Bick, hope Bickle doesn't watch this stream. It's like, did you thrash the story or what? But this part I remember, oh, it's going to snow the first day of spring, and you're going to be in a meeting with your leaders, and you're going to look out the window when it's snowing, and you're going to say, oh, that man's a prophet. <laughs> so Mike said, I totally forgot about that word, and, 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 and he said, we were in a meeting in spring several months later. It was the first day of spring, and he said, we were... We were around this table with my leaders talking, and someone goes, look at that, it's snowing, and it's the first day of spring. And Bickle said spontaneously, that man's a prophet. (laughs) Then he remembered that Bob Jones said, you'll say, on the first day of spring, when it's snowing, that man's a prophet. (laughs) And I'm just saying, like, if you want to fulfill the possibilities in your life, you're going to have to take risks. And I, I really am a guy that's mostly like, like you know, take small risks first. Well, what if the Lord tells me to do something really crazy? Well, get some people together that know you and see if it's you. <laughs> or the Lord. I'm saying you should build some equity with the Lord. You know, don't take your firstborn up to Mount Shasta and sacrifice him or something like that. I waited for the deer. He never came. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anything like that. Not a good way to end the message, I know. So, I think I got upside down and cra- crashed into the ground. Next time I preach this message, I'll have a lot better of example on how to finish this message. But you have to take risks. to actually fulfill your greatest potential. You have to step past your fears. You can't let your emotions tell you what to do. You can't let your wants lead your life. You have to let you have to will You have to let your will and his will line up. There'll be times when you make the right decision but it doesn't feel like the right decision. Just stay there. Just stay on track. Just stay in it. Some of you are in a tough marriage. Maybe you have something to do with that. You know, when I thought it, it didn't seem funny. But you want out. I want to tell you that having been through divorce in our family, if I were you, I'd will yourself in until it 
until all of your leaders around you say it's a bad, it's a bad plan. I'm simply saying, like, don't do what you feel like doing. Do what God tells you to do. <clears throat> I, just, I just really feel like there's people in tough situations. You want out. There's nothing wrong with wanting out. That's, there's, it's, it's fine. But just because you want out doesn't mean he wants you out. Somebody recently come to me one of our students working for a person who's not very noble in our community. And they're like, ah, it's really a tough job. You know, it's so dark in there. And they're just kind of going on and on. I just felt like I was supposed to say, tell it to Daniel. Tell your story to Daniel how dark it is. And she kind of looked at me. I said, I didn't mean it like mean. I just mean sometimes the Lord puts us in really dark places, not so we'll run away, I think that, and I told her, I think the enemy is the one who wants you out of there. I think the Lord wants you to be light in that dark place. And I just mean so much of the kingdom is found on the other side of perseverance. I find perseverance is becoming a lost art even in the kingdom. You know, the one, one of the fruits of the Spirit is perseverance. And I like it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit because that means the devil doesn't have it. Like he's like the wicked judge and you're like the widow. And it's like one of the ways you can beat the devil is refuse to quit. Because he doesn't have perseverance and you do. Like you can wear him out. The judge is like, not because I'm righteous and not because I like her. I don't like her. But because she wears me out. I'll give her what she wants. Sometimes you can just wear the devil out in your marriage. You can just wear the devil out of your marriage. You just wear the hell right out of your marriage. Like, I'm going to love my spouse. I'm going to love her. Oh, yeah, I don't feel it. I'm going to love her again. I'm going to love her. And pretty soon, if it's a spirit, it's amazing how he ain't going to stay around too much longer. You just wear him out. There's just something about the possibilities that come when you refuse to quit. That's what I believe. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for you. This may be redundant because we prayed for people with three or four different things and Chris got you all saved. And <laughs> think evil spirits left and some of you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But how many of you are in a really tough situation? Like, a, like you would describe your situation as really tough. We have all been there. Bill described his this morning. So no shame. How many of you are in a really tough situation? Would you raise your hand? Good. But just leave your hand up. You might have already got prayed for tonight, but it's all right. Two gauges, two witnesses. Just put your hands on these folks right here, would you? The folks that have, leave, their, leave your hands up high, please. Leave your hands up high. You're in a really tough situation. Would you just tell the person who's the people that are leaning over, you can just say it's relationship or it's finance or it's physical healing, just, just the subject so they can be praying actually into that subject. Can we just do that right now? Some of you might have a word of encouragement or a prophetic word for them that they can kind of hang on to. 
in this time. If you're praying for somebody that has a financial issue, the, the, some of the folks that are praying for them, give them some money, even if it's 25 cents. No, I mean, it's a prophetic act. Uh, I mean, give, give them a dollar. A, a ten, it's not the amount. I feel like you're supposed to give them something. I remember George Mueller was called by God to build an orphanage. He had no money. And after he rose from prayer, a little boy handed him a penny and said, God told me to give you this for the orphanage. There's something about this prophetic act that God would multiply this little boy's lunch. He would multiply this money. So if it's finances, make sure you give him something. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, if you're at home watching this by Bethel TV, we're just, we're right now, we're just interceding for you too. There's somebody in here, you, ha- you lost, you had a miscarriage. I think you've had more than one, but the most recent one was you had a miscarriage at, uh, in the first trimester, towards the end of the first trimester, and you think you're pregnant again. And when I was telling the story about worry and expectation, um, it really like uh, it connected with you in a negative way. And the Lord wants you to know that this baby will come full term. It'll be fully healthy. It will have, you'll have no problems, no bleeding, no things that happen with the other two. And, um, and he wants you to know that you can trust him for a, a healthy, full birth of this child. In Jesus' name. If, is the person that that's for, are, they, are you in here? Would you raise your hand if that's you? Okay, right here, good. We just pray, Lord, we release that right now, full term. Full-term birth in Jesus' name. Healthy baby in Jesus' name. It can be for someone else. It might be someone who's watching us on Bethel TV that the Lord is bringing you full-term baby. No miscarriage. We say no to miscarriage in Jesus' name. In fact, even if the, uh, the timeline's different and others are in here that are pregnant, we say no. there will be no miscarriages. Anybody that's in the sound of my voice whether it's repeated on Bethel TV, whether it's in this room or in the overflow room, we say this is a no miscarriage time and season right now in Jesus' name. Full term, healthy babies, no miscarriages, no deformities, no, um, no, 
no struggles in birth. In Jesus' name, we just release that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's, um, there's a, I think there's, a, I see this number three in front of me, so I'm thinking that there's three people in here, you've had multiple car accidents. When I was sharing the testimony about my friend who had multiple car accidents, that you were, you were really touched by that. And you're like, yeah, that's me. I think I have this fear I'm going to have a car accident. Could you raise your hand? Because I feel like we're supposed to break that off you. One, two, three. There's, there's about six people. Okay, those folks that have their hands up, would you just put your hands on them right now? I'm going to pray. I just want you to have your hands on them. Lord, right now, we release them from this curse, this expectation of doom. And we say, that foreboding spirit is to leave right now in Jesus' name. We say that you're the safest driver in the world. Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to put the safety bubble around them. I like the purple bubble. I've actually only seen it in a vision once, but it's a good bubble. You want it. We just release the purple bubble over these people that they would be safe, that they would have no car accidents, no plane accidents. And we say, we break the power of the word jinx off of you. Um, there's a, there's a, a woman in here. Your father called you a jinx from the time you could remember. And it's, it, you, you, you drop things. You're, you're, it's like, it's just, it got inside you. And you anticipate, I'm going to drop that thing. I'm going to break that glass. I'm going it, to, it, it's actually a lot of little things, but it's that, that you do that are just, that are just jinx-ish. It's, but it's the identity of that thing that is plagued you. And we just right now agree with you. You are not a jinx. You are a blessed daughter of God in Jesus' name. And we say that God has actually blessed you. And I want to give you this word. Everything you touch is going to turn to gold. We release that over you right now in Jesus' name. Is there somebody that was, is a person in the room who, who that was for specifically? About the jinx thing? Right there. We just... This is just happy hour for you. <laughs> Instead of dropping things and stepping over things and falling down and crazy things, you're just like, people are just going to give you money. You're going to stumble over it. You're going to find it on the ground, in your car. You, people are going to, this crazy stuff's going to happen. They're going to they're gonna be like, she's got the, she's got the, you, what is it? The minus touch. There you go. I was trying to think of like, I was going to say the green thumb. I'm like, I don't know, the gold finger. All those things are like, I don't know if they're good or not, you know? We've we got plastic plants now, much better than a green thumb. Yeah. Um, somebody has a problem in their right... Um, it, it feels like you got punched right here in the right side. And it uh, broke your jawbone, and it did a bunch of damage to your eye socket. I think you got punched, but it might have been something else. But it's on, it's on the right side... And it has to do with the skeletal area around your eye. And the Lord is healing you right now. Is, that, is, there, is there somebody in the room specifically that has that issue? Maybe an accident or something? Is someone raising their hand? I have such bad eyesight. Is that you? Okay, just... Okay, whoever it is, would you just lay their hand, your hand on their right eye right there? I believe the Lord's doing a creative thing on the, the right skeletal side of your face. And it, I think it has, I think it's also actually affected your, your actual eye too, maybe. Did it affect your eye? 
like your eyesight? Okay, yes. So, Lord, we release healing over that eye and over that, uh, over that, that uh, skeletal uh, problem, the broken eye socket, whatever that is, we speak complete and total restoration, a creative miracle in Jesus' name, and also over the trauma. Uh, we break the power of trauma, that, uh, whatever that was about, if it was an accident or on purpose, but whatever it is, we just say no to the trauma, and we say the blessing of the Lord is on you, it's on your house, it's on your family, it's on your children, and I saw uh, specifically creativity and art flowing out of your family. I saw, a, I saw a famous artist coming out of your family. Out of your family lineage will come a famous artist, a specifically uh, a graphic artist. And I release that over, over you in Jesus' name, that you remember this night. Um, that's a good word, too. Yeah. Sir, you're in red. You're turned the opposite right here. Is this a, a gal or a guy right here? You're in red right there. Yes, what's your name? Tim. Tim, okay. Yes, sir, you don't have to yell. <laughs> Joking, <laughs> just being funny. Um, I saw this whole uh, structure. Uh, I saw you restructuring. Uh, I see you getting this blueprint. This uh, kind of, it's, it has to do with uh, uh, some kind of a governmental uh, mantle and anointing. That you're, uh, you're, you're, uh, it's, it has to do with um, undoing corruption. Um, it's an anti-corruption uh, reformation, reformation. And it has to do with uh, a corrupt structure that rewards, um, well, what the Lord would say is evil. And I see you reforming the structure towards justice and righteousness. And I see the Lord giving you a part of it, the initial part of it, like the catalyst for it, uh, in a dream. But also you have a brilliant mind. So I see the Lord giving you a foundation of, uh, of the structure, kind of like he laid out, the, uh, if you will, the, uh, like the pillars, or like in, in American housing we would say, he poured the foundation. But I see the Lord actually inspiring you to build on the foundation with the uh, mind of Christ that he's giving you. You have this really brilliant mind, intuitive. Yeah, and, uh, and your head and heart are attached. There's this beautiful thing about the way you think. You're the true beautiful mind. Lord, we just release that over this man in Jesus' name. Hmm. Where, where, where is he from? Where are you from? You're from England. Awesome. Just got back from there. God bless England. Long live the queen. <laughs> That's uh, what you say there. Awesome. Well, we're going to do a fire tunnel. If you haven't been through a fire tunnel before, then this would be a great experience. By the way, if you need to leave, it's, don't feel like you have to stay for this. It'd be awesome. Um, if I could have our teams come up, staff, school ministry students, and Tom, could you come up and just administrate this for me, please? Thank you. Hey, can we just give Chris a big hand for that? Wasn't that amazing? So good. Hey, let's just do something real quick. If you're tonight and you received a miracle, or one of those words of knowledge just for you, just, you got a miracle tonight, just wave both hands in the air boldly. Just wave them up in the air. 
So we can just see that. Come on. So good. We're going to do something else tonight. We're going to have right over here to my left and your right, after you pass through the fire tunnel here, we're going to have a room over there for healing rooms. So if you need prayer for your body, if you need a miracle of some sorts, right over there in that room over there will be a room where we'll be praying for miracles and healing. So also when you're coming to get prayer, please bring your stuff with you. Not everybody who comes into this place is carrying the same core values as us. Carry your purse with you, your, your belongings. But just form, we're going to form two single file lines right here, right down the center. So if everybody could begin to move this direction right here into the center. The line on this side will go through here. The line on this side will go through here. So give us just a second to get this set up. All right, as soon as the music starts, you can go ahead and start walking through in the prayer. Let, it, let the prayer begin. Yeah, we just declare fire over this fire tunnel in Jesus' name. joining us. On our website, iBethel.org, you can find our pastor's itineraries who may be visiting a place near you. Donna DeSilva and the Bethel Sozo team will be in Daphne, Alabama, February 3rd through the 4th, and Havila Cunnington will be in Castle Rock, Colorado, February 3rd through the 4th. Now we want to hear from you. If you have any prayer requests, you can email them to pastor at Bethel.tv. Our team would love to pray for you, and be sure to send us your testimonies as well. We've recently heard a testimony from a pastor in San Antonio. He was preaching about healing in his church, which was a new concept for them. They lost count of how many people received healing. Bone spurs disappeared, nerve damage was healed, and a sense of smell returned. We pray that even if receiving healing is new to you, that you would get all of the healing available to you. Jesus came so that we can live an abundant life, and God loves to heal his children and set them free. Thank you for watching Bethel TV and joining us and our Bethel family around the world. We hope to see you again soon.